Well, this past Thursday evening, I got a phone call that nobody ever, ever wants to receive. You see, we had been here on Thursday night. Our team had gathered, and it was the first time for us that I ever heard a note played on an instrument that actually came through the speakers in this room. And it's the first time I ever saw light cast on these walls. It's the first time I ever saw the cameras being operated by our tech team. Thursday night was a moment that we were so excited for. It was the opportunity for us to begin our first rehearsal here, working through the bugs. And for me, this was a moment that I had looked forward to for so very long. It was a time for me to celebrate That is until I got the phone call. You see, I had been walking downstairs in this building near my office. And my phone rang, and so I pulled it out of my pocket, and I looked at the phone, and it was my wife calling. And so I answered how I normally answer. I said, hey, what's up? But the voice on the other end wasn't my wife. It was the voice of my nine-year-old daughter, And she was in a panic. She cried out, Mom and May fell down the stairs. Mom and May fell down the stairs. When I heard those words, I couldn't quite process in the moment exactly what was going on. So I I asked for clarity. I said, wait, what? Again, even more panicked in her voice. She said, Mom and May fell down the stairs. They, They fell down the stairs from the very, very top. That's when my heart sank. See, most of you guys have never been to my house, but just so you are aware, my house has a very tall stairwell with no landing. There's 16 wooden steps that go down to a wood floor. At that point, I began to panic myself, and I, I, I said to Scarlett, I said, Scarlett, where's mommy now? Is she lying at the, uh, on, the, on the floor? Is she at the bottom of the steps? And she said, yeah, yeah, I think. Just come home quick. So I did what anybody would do in that moment. I didn't tell anybody here that I was leaving. I didn't, know if, I didn't care if they needed me for anything. I ran into my office, grabbed my keys, and I bolted for the car. And as fast as I could get in the car and pull out of this, this parking lot and get onto Main Street, it was as quick as I could. The whole process from grabbing the keys and getting on Main Street, maybe less than 30 seconds, because I was running. And in those 30 seconds, I can tell you, my world flipped upside down. Moments like that, when we're uncertain of what the future will bring, those are incredibly scary. They can be paralyzing, can't they? Maybe some of you know that very same feeling. Maybe you've received phone calls that are similar. Or maybe for many of you, these last several months in the world we've been experiencing with what's going on in the community and what's going on in the country, maybe for many of you, you've been gripped by fear as well and you're uncertain of what the future might bring. That's a scary situation to be in. Now I'm noticing in the room, right, you're anxious. So by the time I got onto Main Street, I picked up my phone again, and I called the number again, expecting to talk to Scarlett. And this time, my wife answered, and she said, hey, 
Immediately, I was a little bit relieved, but I said, what happened? You fell down the stairs with May? And she said, I didn't fall down the stairs. She said, May did, and she began to explain that my daughter did fall down the stairs. She took a pretty big tumble, not from the top step, but it was pretty significant. But the way it happened is she fell, and then she cried a little bit, but pretty much right after that, she picked herself up and she started playing, right? No, like, kind of woozy, no, like, nausea, she didn't vomit, she didn't fall asleep, right, signs of concussion. We try to do all that stuff, and we're kind of like, well, should we call somebody? In the meantime, she's, like, jumping around and playing, trying to go back to the steps. I mean, she was fine. But for those 30 seconds, perhaps the longest 30 seconds of my life, I was so uncertain of the future. Life is often filled with moments of uncertainty, isn't it? So many things that happen to us in life, and we just don't know what's going to happen next. It fills us with fear and anxiety. We don't know what to expect. But I want you to know this morning that there is one thing that we don't have to wonder about. There's one thing that we don't have to fear or have anxiety over or be hesitant about what might happen in the future. There's one thing that's sure, that's guaranteed, and it's this. The future of the church, the church, it's in very good hands. It's in good hands because the one who holds it and the one who builds it, he will never, ever fail. And if you want to see that for yourselves this morning, I encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 this morning. Matthew chapter 16. Now, you may notice there aren't really many Bibles. It's not because we're, we don't believe in the Bible anymore. We still believe in the Bible. We just had on back order the Bibles that are seat backs. And also, we kind of thought that might be good in light of COVID stuff. As much as possible, if you want to use your phone or your own Bible for a little while, that's going to help us out. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, Matthew chapter 16, that's where we're at this morning. And uh, as you're turning there, I want to tell you, man, I am pumped for today. I am just, I mentioned earlier, I'm juiced for today. I woke up super early and I was ready to go. I mean, this is something I've been looking forward to for a long time. This is a big deal. And can we just give a round of applause to God for just making all this happen? Come on. And I want to thank each and every one of you as well, those of you who served, those of you who gave, those of you who prayed, those of you who suffered, many of you in this whole process. Thank you for being part of this. I want to thank those online who are faithfully tuning in each and every week. We love you guys too, and just thankful that you're able to tune in, even many of you from a distance. God is good. This is awesome. And this building, man, didn't it turn out great? I mean, just how cool is this? It's a big deal. And I got to tell you, I'm excited. I'm excited. This whole journey, it began because we really believed as leaders. When we gathered together and prayed, we began to ask God to help give us clarity for the future. We just felt like God was impressing on our hearts that he was calling for us to take some big, bold steps and to look beyond our context and say, you know what, maybe God, you have much more in store for our future. And for us, the, the overwhelming thing that just filled our hearts was this idea that there are people all around this region that we want to reach with the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, at our old facility, many of you were there at Church Grove, and for some of you, this is the first time joining us at Frankenmuth Bible Church. But those of you who came from Church Grove, you know that we had some facility issues. We had 93 parking spaces. 
And there were some Sundays uh, this past year where we had 800 people, right? Imagine three services, 93 parking spaces. We had more cars parked on the grass and on the road than we did in the uh, actual parking lot. So we had some parking issues. Classes were bursting. Sometimes the services were over full, over capacity. We had some major issues uh, at that facility. And it's one thing if it's just facility issues, but for us, we knew. We knew that there were still people around our region who needed to hear the good news of Jesus, who perhaps didn't know Christ. And we wanted to reach those people with the gospel. We wanted to give them an opportunity to encounter Jesus for themselves, to not just know about Jesus, but to know him and to know him intimately. And the truth is, if you spend any time around this region, you know that there are a lot of people who might know something about Jesus, But for many of those people, they don't actually know him. They don't know him for who he truly is. They don't have a relationship with Christ. And for us, that's not okay. We wanted to reach them. And the truth is, if you think this is something new, right, with today's culture in America where people know something about Jesus, but they don't really know him, I want you to know that this has always been the case since the beginning of the church. And by the way, can I just, people online don't know what's going on, but there's thunder outside, and it's making everything I say very eerie today, isn't it? (laughs) That first story, I swear I saw some of you, like, your lips were quivering. It's all right. It's just thunder. But when you came in, just so you know, it was intense, the rain. So a lot of you missed that. I mean, oops, it's been crazy outside, just so you know. So thankfully, it's muffled in here a little bit. But yeah, it's crazy outside. Okay. Elephant in the room. You got to address the elephant in the room and move forward. That's what you got to do. No, we know that this whole idea of somebody knowing about Jesus, but not knowing Jesus, this is not new. This has been that way since the beginning. And if you're in Matthew chapter 16 this morning, I want to begin to draw your attention to some aspects that you can see of this take place. Verse 13 is where I want to draw your attention to. So notice what it says in Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, I'm going to stop there for a second. Caesarea Philippi is a Greco-Roman city. Uh, It was often known for a place where there was a lot of pagan worship for a long time, but Caesarea Philippi was about 25 miles north or so, roughly about that, uh, of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, and so Jesus, he's traveling there with his disciples. They get to Caesarea Philippi, and he, meaning Jesus, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that I am? Now, notice how he's not asking his disciples, who do you say I am? He's saying, who do people say that I am? Meaning, people who are not part of our crew, part of our community, part of our group that's been traveling around, people who are outsiders. What do those people think of me? Who do they say that I am? Asked Jesus. And notice the response. This is what the disciples say. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So this is what people outside of the followers of Jesus thought. This is what they thought about the identity of Jesus. Right from the beginning, there have always been groups of people who knew something about Jesus or thought they knew something about Jesus, but didn't really know him since the beginning. People who didn't see him for who he truly is. And so right here at the beginning of this message, I just want to draw the first point this morning, first section, number one. I want to talk about the perception of Jesus. Perception of Jesus. 
Notice how when the disciples are talking about the way that Jesus is perceived, oftentimes people perceive things about Jesus and they're just completely wrong. So notice here in the text what's happening. If you look back at this passage, right? They begin to say that some say that it's John the Baptist. That's who Jesus is. Others say Elijah and others say Jeremiah. Now, let me ask you a question. Is Jesus any of these individuals? No. Jesus isn't any of these individuals. So the information that they thought about Jesus, it was wrong. And even in our culture, there are people in our region who perhaps will say things or believe things about Jesus that are just not true. What they do is they take an image of who Jesus is and they fashion an idol in their own mind. They create a false God. They tell themselves, well, my Jesus would never do this or my Jesus would never do that. They make themselves their own idol in their mind and they say that they follow him. But is that really following him when it's not who he truly is? They don't know him for who he truly is. But not only that, notice how some of the disciples, they reveal that other people who are out there, they might know something about Jesus and and it's true, but their knowledge is insufficient. So notice what also it says over here, right? Some believe that he's one of the prophets. Now, is Jesus one of the prophets? Yes, this is true. But if you reduce Jesus to simply saying he is a prophet and nothing more, you have completely distorted the true identity of Christ. He is far more than just a prophet. He is prophet, priest, and king. The reality is there are a lot of people out there who don't know about Jesus, they have a a wrong idea, their perception is flawed, or it's grossly insufficient. They don't have a relationship with him. And again, we are not okay with that here at FBC. We're not okay with that. We don't want people living and dying their entire lives without knowing who Jesus is and then having the opportunity to know him intimately and personally in relationship. He is God's son. who who took on human flesh and he came to the earth and he suffered and died in my place and in your place because the truth is we were condemned in our sin. We could do nothing about it. We We can't save ourselves. We can't be good enough for God. His standard is perfect, but Jesus came and he lived the perfect life. He lived the life that we could never live and he died the death that we deserve. And after three days, this Jesus rose from the dead in victory, defeating death and sin forever. And now he offers us new life, eternal life. This is Jesus. He is the alpha and the omega and people ought to know him. That's why we started this whole thing. We started this project. It's why we started praying that God would open doors. That's why we started the campaign and we asked many of you to contribute toward this this belief that God was calling us beyond. We asked you to give when we didn't even know what you were giving toward yet and you stepped up. That's why we looked at this facility. I I want you to know that the day that we were negotiating this facility, we were going through that series, right? The the series, Beyond series, talking about the book of Joshua. And the day we went to negotiate this, which was a tricky day and a difficult situation, we know we had a, a hurdle ahead of us to try to negotiate to to buy this property. That's why I I took an opportunity to walk around the building seven times, not praying that the walls would fall down, right? Hopefully, it's thunder. (laughs) No, but praying that any barrier, any barrier would be brought down so we could reach more people for Christ. It's not about just being cooler or better. We didn't do this so we could have a cool coffee shop. 
Although the coffee shop is legit, right? I mean, come on. It's legit. It's a really great coffee shop. But no, it's not about bricks and mortar. Never. It's never been. It's about seeing life change. People ought to know him. We want to know him and make him known. That's what we're about here at FBC. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is how do we make that happen? How do we make that happen? Well, I'll give you the short answer. We don't. We can't. It's not in our power to change people or rescue people or open blind eyes. And if you're in Matthew's gospel, we're going to continue. We're going to see how as it continues, it's going to shed light on this fact that we can't do that work. That's not our work to do. And so notice how Jesus, now he asks another important question. He's going to begin to develop on this. Notice the question he asks. He says, but he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Right? He's not asking about the outsiders anymore. Now he's looking squarely at Peter and John and all the disciples. And he's saying, who do you say that I am? And notice the response of Peter. I love this. I love it. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. Which means the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that's been promised for generation after generation after generation. God's promised one who would come and rescue and save the world. You are the Christ and the son of the living God. I got to tell you throughout the gospels, I don't know a better, more succinct, more accurate, more pointed description of the identity of Jesus than the words that come out of Peter's mouth here. He is the Messiah, the promised one, the son of the living God. He is the rescuer. This is who Jesus is. I love this profession that came from Peter. And this leads to the second section this morning. Number two, the profession of Jesus. He makes a profession of Jesus. And I want you to know, listen, beloved, that statement that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, this is the, the, the statement that we want to hear uttered from the lips of people around our region who are far from God. We want to reach them with the gospel so that they too can say, yes, he is my Messiah. He's my savior, the son of the living God. That's our aim. That's what we're all about here. But notice how this kind of knowledge, right? This is not something that we can do in our own strength. I can't manufacture this. Joseph has never saved anybody. I don't have the power to, neither do you. I don't do this work. This only happens from the miraculous work of God when he begins to invade someone's heart and life with his spirit and open their eyes and begin to change and transform them, form them so they can see the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ. This is what God does. It's not just true of us, it's true of Peter as well. Notice what Jesus says as he continues. Jesus says, blessed are you. Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. No man is the one who gave you this true, intimate knowledge of who Jesus is. We can't do that. But he says, but my father who's in heaven, he is the one. He is the one who opens those eyes and he's the one who does the work. Thankfully, can we just say for a second, thanks be to God that this is not on us. Because if it's on us, we're in some trouble. See, God's the one doing the work. And I got to say, this building that we built, don't get me wrong, it's awesome. But at the end of the day, there is a more true and better builder that I want to place my faith in and rely upon and look toward the future and say, I believe in him and his ability, not ours. 
not our strength. Because, beloved, i got to tell you, there's so many things in life, so many things that are uncertain, so many things that bring fear and anxiety, so many things that are shaky. I'm not even going to describe those things to you because it's just going to make you feel a little depressed or, or, or bummed out today. Just turn on the news when you go home for like 30 seconds. You'll feel pretty bad. It's the world we live in. So many things uncertain. There's one thing, though, one thing that's not uncertain at all. It's not shaky at all. One thing that we know for sure. I don't just believe this one thing. I know this one thing without a shadow of a doubt. Because as our passage continues, Jesus, he affirms Peter's profession, but then he continues by saying this, and I love it. This is beautiful. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, right, this profession of faith, this understanding of who I am, the Messiah, the Son of God, on this I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. This statement is a statement of fact. This is not a hypothetical, oh, maybe I'll build my church. No, he will build it, and hell will not prevail. This is a promise, and it leads to our last section this morning. Our last section, number three, the promise of Jesus. The promise of Jesus. Jesus promises he'll build his church. It's guaranteed. And I want to bring some clarity this morning, because a lot of times in English, when we use the word church, we talk about a building, don't we? We talk about the church that we just built. But biblically speaking, the church is never a building. It's never bricks and mortar. The church, biblically speaking, is always people, individuals who've been called out by God and designed to gather together for worship and go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. So here's, here's the truth. We are the church. We are, not this. We are. We're the church. And as the church, we've got marching orders. I love this, right? We've been commissioned to go and make disciples of all nations and advance the gospel. And I want you to know this is not a passive calling. If some of y'all came into this, this place today and were like, you know what, this is great. Every Sunday, I get to get a, a really nice cup of coffee with a lid now. That's fancy. It's got our name on it. I get to sit down and chill out in these comfy seats and relax. And you know what? This is going to be a real comfortable ride in the future. Newsflash. I'm not trying to be, I'll just say it. I don't even care, right? The Spirit's just encouraging me. If you're here to chill and coast, there are other places you can do it. God has given us a bigger, bigger vision and a bigger calling. And we need people who are on board. This is an, an offense thing. This is not passive defense. It's offense. Notice how Jesus talks about the gates of hell. Ancient cities put gates up to keep people out because they were afraid of enemy people attacking them. And Jesus says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. This means, listen, newsflash, we're storming the gates of hell. This is what he's called us to do. This is the mission of the church Jesus is building it. It's a promise. It's his work. And so as I prepare to close today, I, I just want to say, make no mistake, I, I'm so thankful for this building. Super excited about everything that's happened. It is awesome. I love this place, and I'm so thankful that God has provided it. But do not get confused. This is not the church. 
It is not the church. We are. We can't build the church. It's not our job. And I'm thankful because sometimes I'm not that good of a builder. No, the truth is this is a building and we can build a building. Pretty stinking good one too. We can build a building, but here's the big idea this morning. We can build a building. Only Jesus builds the church. Don't forget that, FBC. We can build a building. Jesus builds the church. Jesus is doing the work. He will do it. He's promised to do it. So yes, let's celebrate the building today, but let's have faith and confidence in God's work to advance his mission across the face of the globe so that some from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language might glorify and praise his name forever. He will do it. Amen. He will do it. He will build his church and the gates of hell and will not prevail. Let's pray. Father, you are awesome. Lord, as we started this service, you're not done yet. That's what this promise means. And Father, in the midst of all this craziness in the world, the challenges we had even to gather together because of this pandemic. There were times where we firmly doubted that we could get all this stuff done and figure out a way to gather together again and work all this stuff out. But Lord, I am reminded today that we can build a building, but you will build your church. Your son, Jesus, has promised it. He will make a way because Lord, he is the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper. My God, that is who you are. And we want to trust him with our lives and trust him with the future. In Jesus' precious name we pray. God's people say, amen.